0: Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to part six of our series, The Birds and the Bees. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax, here it is. We're in part six of a series today, and for the last five weeks, we have began in the book of Genesis. Today, we're not in the book of Genesis to start. We're in the New Testament. Someone shout new. Let's go. Um, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A man named Paul has written a whole chapter on relationships. Tons of stuff, but I'm reading one verse. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17, it says, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them this Is the rule I lay down in all the churches. I want to speak today on the subject of understanding the assignment. Understanding the assignment. Can we put our hands together? You guys can find your seat in this place today. Come on, so glad you guys could be here. My name is Harrison. If we have not yet had the pleasure of meeting, and uh, I lead here alongside my wife, Christy, and we are just so glad that you joined us today. Every person in the building, every person watching online, listening, wherever you get this, uh, so glad you could be here. We are in, as I said, part six of a series called The Birds and the Bees. Can you make some noise? Anyone heard any parts of this series? So if, uh, if you didn't catch any of the rest of the series, it's okay. I just want to encourage you, when you go home, go watch part one to five. It'll take you about five, six hours, but go watch parts one to five um, because everything that we've been doing the last five weeks has led us to where we are today and where we're going. So in this series, from our graphic, it's about creation, sex, and relationships, Today and the next two weeks after, and last week, we were kind of digging into relationships. But the first four weeks, we talked about creation, and those creation messages are the prequel to all the relationship stuff. So you can watch the relationship stuff, it's gonna make sense, you're gonna love it, your life's gonna be changed. However, it's better if you watch the prequel. Does that make sense? It's like The Hobbit in Lord of the Rings. It's the prequel to the... Anyways, the reason we went hard on creation is because we said, if we don't know where we came from, we will struggle to know who we are. And that is very true in terms of relationships. So, again, if you missed it, go check it out. Today, here's the message. You guys ready? I don't got a graphic, so you got to write it down. We're talking about this today. How do I succeed in whatever relational season of life I find myself in. That's the message today. How do I succeed in whatever relational season I find myself in? Um, I was talking this week to my wife, Christy, and I was saying, uh, so I told you guys if you were here, um, this is our first relationship series we've done in three years. And Relationship series, as I've said, they're usually our most popular, our most consumed, usually even in person. More people come to the relationship stuff than normal, Um, but we haven't done it in three years, and I was talking to Chris this week, and I said, I think I know why I haven't spoke on this stuff in three years. Um, It's kind of hard. It's hard to preach on relationships, (laughs) and so I think that's why I've avoided preaching them for three years, and maybe that's even why I spent four weeks in this series not talking about relationships. Because when you just get down to them, they're hard to preach on. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I don't think the Bible has a lot of good stuff to say on about, about it. It's not because I don't believe biblical wisdom. The reason relationships series are hard is kind of like three reasons. Number one, um, relationships are living, breathing organisms. And the reason that relationships are living, breathing organisms is because they have within them humans. And humans are living Breathing organisms, meaning that every single one of us, no matter what our relationship status is, none of us are the same. All of us are going through different things. All of us are in different seasons. That's what also makes relationship series hard, because how do I come up here and preach when I got single people, I got divorced people, I got widows, like the list goes on. How do I, how do I preach? And so I said, Chris, I think I know why I kicked this thing down the curve for a few months. And the third thing, which we talked about last week, if you guys remember this, we said every single person is born east of Eden, meaning all of us are born not into perfection. We all have things that make relationships hard. Now, if you guys remember, I said today I'm going to talk about how to succeed in whatever relational season of life i find myself in and i just gave us all the reasons why it's really hard but nevertheless i think i have that message today is that crazy so no matter all, all the stuff i said i know y'all crazy i know everyone here is in different relational seasons But I think I have some stuff today that will help you succeed in whatever relational season of life you find yourself in. Now, some of you are saying, Harrison, if you know our story, you're saying, Harrison, it's easy for you to give me relational advice when your relationship's perfect. You have an amazing wife. you got four kids. You've never experienced anything in your life. How can you even speak on relationships? Because you don't know what we're going through. So I'll give you a little context just about about and myself to let you know that I understand relationships are complicated. Um, if you wanna know about our family, pretty well like everywhere you turn in our family trees, you're gonna find divorce. It's like everywhere in our family. My parents are divorced, Christy's parents are divorced, like it's, it's everywhere, so I know, come on somebody, I know that relationships can be complicated. I have like, I have. we got four kids, my four kids, they, they got more grandmas and grammys and grampies. And they don't actually understand it right now, but there's going to come a day when I'm going to have to describe, you have a Nona and a Nono, and we're not Italian. <laughs> That's going to be a conversation one day. So, anyways, I'm just saying, because some of you guys like are saying, Harrison, can you really give me relational advice on how to succeed? I get it. Like, I know, but like, I think I have something today. So, you guys ready? You guys ready to go? Just giving you guys a little context about us and where we're going. So I kind of want to bring some stuff back from last week that I hit on, but I didn't really go deeper. So Genesis chapter 2, we learned last week about God's ideal for marriage. God's ideal for marriage. We learned three things. God's ideal from Genesis chapter 2 was that marriage was between a man and a woman. Heterosexual, they would become one flesh. It was an exclusive relationship. Sex was designed for marriage. Mononymous, monogamous, (laughs) intimate. Um, And the last thing that we said was uh, naked. They were were naked, and what that meant was shameless. They were without shame. And um, I shared God's ideal for marriage last week, and then we kind of moved forward, and I brought up suitcases, and you guys didn't really think about this again. Um, But... When we see this list, this list should kind of make us pause. It should make us pause for a number of reasons. Number one, um, in our current cultural moment, uh, this wouldn't necessarily be the definition for marriage. We wouldn't all come into agreement that that's what marriage is. Um, But I think the second reason that this should make us pause is because I believe here is the truth. God has his ideal and God has a design for marriage, but lean in, no one has ever hit God's ideal for marriage fully. And this is important because a lot of times, especially in church world, we think as long as we are in a monogamous, heterosexual relationship, we are doing God's will. But, as I said, because we are all born east of Eden, all of us have sin tendencies, no one lives God's ideal perfectly. And I would argue many couples, even if they are heterosexual and monogamous, never are naked with each other. And I don't even mean that physically. I mean, a lot of us in our marriages, in our relationship, we have so much walls, so much bitterness that our spouse has never actually seen the real us in years. So, truth is, God's design for marriage should cause us to pause because, number one, it's not necessarily where our culture is or how our culture would define marriage. And number two, I want us to understand that none of us live this perfectly. But one thing that I have said, and I want to reiterate, is that our shortcomings don't change God's strategy. So just because we don't hit the mark, God doesn't change his mind. In the book of Genesis, when you read it, in Genesis chapter four, right away, you're gonna see people not following God's ideal for marriage. But what you don't see is God saying, you know what, I'm gonna change my mind. I'm going to do something. Let's get rid of the thing. Our shortcomings, are you guys following? Don't change God's strategy. So God's design for marriage is still these three things. Now, some of you guys are saying, okay, I get God's design for marriage, but what about blank? You know what I'm saying? I know God's ideal for marriage, but what about if I'm already on my second marriage? I'm, I know God's ideal for marriage, but what if I've already slept with someone? I, I know God's ideal for marriage, but what about like if I'm just single? Does that mean I'm living less than, than God's ideal? I know, I know God's ideal for marriage, but what if I've only ever been attracted to the same sex? I know, I, know, I know what it says, but what about fill in the blank? Now, that question of what about if, whatever the if is, is the context for 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that's where I want to speak today is from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Because what has happened, and I'll give us some more context. Paul, the man who wrote this book, has planted a church in a place called Corinth. And Corinth, if you know anything about the ancient place of Corinth, you will know it's kind of a wild place. Scholars let us know that Corinth was pretty secular. These weren't your typical church people. They were wilding. They were chasing after pleasure. Sex was God. Like, all this stuff was going on. And somehow, Paul starts a church in the middle of this place called Corinth. And what happens, as you can imagine, when a church is started in a culture that's crazy— people in the church were a little bit crazy. And so what happens and if you if, if and is funny cuz like when i say the church was crazy some of you guys are like in your head you're like oh how crazy could it be like were they talking during the message like what <laughs> oh you wild christians. In like in the context of the book of 1 Corinthians lets us know some of the things that were going on in this church. Like number 1 during communion that's the thing where we drink the juice here and the bread. Um, in Corinth, they were getting drunk during communion. That's just because like, that's like, hey, I see wine. Let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Like that, that's what was happening in the church in Corinth. People were sleeping with prostitutes because they were like, hey, I got an urge. Like, what am I supposed to do with this? People were literally sleeping with their stepmothers. It was crazy. You didn't, you didn't believe me. You, you want to know what a stepmother also means? It also means there was divorced people in this church. I know. Because some of you guys have bought the lie that church is only for perfect people. But what we said, if you guys you guys might, you, you don't remember this. I'm not going to take offense. But four months ago, I preached a sermon called How to Build a Great Church. And I said, great churches are filled with all kinds of people. So from the beginning, in, in, in Corinth, if, if you don't believe it, read the book of 1 Corinthians. These are church people who are crazy. Yet, this is what's important. Because I, I always say, I think Corinth is kind of like Canada. Because the Corinthian people really like thought that pleasure was God, so on and so forth. But Paul, and this is important, as a pastor, has to figure out, okay, what is my job? How do I shepherd? How do I love These people that are falling short of God's ideal. Now, what's interesting is that Paul never pulls back God's ideal. He never says, ah, forget about it. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, which I think we might look at next week, Paul actually quotes Genesis. He quotes Genesis chapter 2, lets them know, listen, this is God's ideal, guys. Our shortcomings don't change God's strategy. And so Paul teaches this church that is wild, crazy, doing all the things you could ever imagine. Listen, God still has a standard. And so what happens, though, is Paul leaves. He teaches them the standard. Paul leaves. And the people in Corinth write Paul a letter. And we don't have access to the letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 gives us clues about that letter. But what they write him is Paul says, okay, we know the ideal, heterosexual, monogamous, shameless, the whole thing. But what about... Blank. That's the letter. They say, okay, Paul, we get it, but what about if I'm divorced? But what about if I'm doing this or if I'm doing that? And so, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm giving us a lot of context, but I want everyone to follow along. You guys all there? Paul says this in in verse 1. He says, now for the matters you wrote about. So he's answering their questions. It's like, okay. All the questions you were asking. But Paul, what if I'm divorced? But Paul, what if my husband doesn't believe in God? For all that stuff, you guys making sense? I want us to see the first thing he says. For the matters I wrote you about, he says, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. So he gets all their questions on relationships, everything you can imagine. First thing Paul says, he's like, listen, guys, I just want to clarify something. It's okay if you want to be single. He's like, there is nothing wrong with that. Because they're asking all these questions. Listen, it is actually good. And that word is important because some people have this idea that if I am not in a relationship, I am less than. If I'm not in a relationship, I am not good. Paul says, listen, it's actually good to be single. And I want to say that because it's important to understand that we aren't missing, and we talked about this last week, the thing that we need in our life above all if we aren't in a relationship. Being single is okay. Verse two, he says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, he's like, since you guys can't quite keep it together. He's like, let me re- re- reiterate something. Each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. This is how wild the church is. Paul's like, let me just clarify something. If you can't keep it, like, with, just with your wife, bro. And what happens for the next 15 verses, and if this is, like, piquing your interest, go home today and read 1 Corinthians 7 Um, because it has such great advice. Um, If you're married to an unbeliever, read 1 Corinthians chapter seven. If you're divorced, read 1 Corinthians chapter seven, because Paul goes through all of these things in depth. If I'm single, first, but I'm gonna skip that all. You can read it when you get home. I don't got time for today. So he goes through these lists. He gives them really practical stuff, but verse 17, this is what He says, He says, Nevertheless, after all the stuff I've given you, he says, Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So it's funny when you read 1 Corinthians 7, because Paul is trying to answer all their questions. And I can almost imagine... As he's answering the questions, he starts thinking about other complex relationships. He starts thinking about, like, Bill and Linda in church. And he's like, oh, my gosh, them. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to make this simple. I'm not going to get specific anymore in terms of, like, what to do when. He's like, here's advice for everyone. Here is great relational advice. He says, in whatever situation you are in, live as a believer. So, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what your current relational status is. But he says, whatever situation that you are in. So, I want you to understand something. Every single one of us has an assignment today. You want to know what the assignment is? It's to be where you currently are. Every day when you wake up, that's your assignment to be where I am. And so many of us, we live in two places. The past, which is just regret, or we live in the future, which for some of us is just longing. I just hope this changes. I can't believe I did that. Paul says, You want to understand your assignment, your assignment is to be where your feet are planted. I hope today when we leave, every single one of us can say, I understood the assignment. Where are my young people at? You don't think I know about TikTok? (laughs) If you didn't get it, ask your kids when you get home. Um, But the point is this. Far too many of us, I think, would rather be anywhere than we are. And when it says that God has placed us somewhere, I want you to understand something. The Lord assigned us is what he says. I don't think this means that God is the reason you are where you are right now. Because some of you guys know full well, like I am where I am because of my own decisions. <laughs> like I am, that's why I'm here. However, what God is saying and what Paul is saying to us is it doesn't matter how you got there or how you got here, it's that you're here. And so that's the assignment. And so what he's saying, this is so simple, this is, this is, this is how to succeed in whatever relational season I find myself in. It's simply this, live as a follower of Jesus in whatever season you are in. Live as a follower of Jesus wherever your feet are planted today. What is my most important identity, no matter where I am, No matter what my relationship status looks like, my most important identification is that of follower of Jesus. So he says, live as such. Now this is important because I think that we are in a current cultural moment where now more than ever, people are desperately searching for identity. People are desperately wondering, who am I? And what happens is we have all of these things that we think are most important. We think that our gender is the most important thing. We think our relational status is the most important thing. We think our race is the most important thing. We think our income, our job is the most important thing. What Paul is letting us know is that our most important identification is that of follower of Jesus. And if I take that as the utmost importance in my life, I can and I will succeed in whatever relational season I find myself in. As long as I never forget my first and most important calling, which is follower of Jesus. Now, that's the whole sermon. You guys wanna go home? Don't say yes. A secondary question as I give the answer to how to succeed in every relational season should be this Well, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in my current season of life? This is a question. So, because I don't, again, I don't know every single one of you guys where you're at, what you're going through, but here's the question What does it look like to follow Jesus in my current season of life? Now, because I don't know all y'all's current season, I can't give you specific. However, I can give us what I think are three general principles, and even more than that, there are three choices. Three choices that we can make in whatever relational season of life I find myself in um, that I think are choices followers of Jesus will make. Does that make sense? So I wanna give us three choices, then you can actually go home. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, verse 17. I'm going to give us the first choice here. Again, each person, he says, live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Hone on, on this part. It says, just as God has called them. Just as God has called them. This is the rule I lay down in all my churches. So the word I want us to hone in on is Called. Here's the question I want us to ask ourselves in the current season, the current relational season. If you're a husband, if you're a boyfriend, if you're a wife, if you're single, if you're divorced, if you're a single whatever it is, how many of us view the place that we are in today as a calling? How many of us? Because I think for a lot of us, the reason we're always chasing the next, or the better is because we don't believe that we're called people. But what if we could actually begin to see the situation that I am in as a calling from God? Not to do something or grand in particular, but to be a follower of His, wherever I am. Now, here's the hardest part about calling. Calling will always come in conflict with convenience, And the easiest thing to do is to live our lives with convenience, meaning whatever is easiest. So here's the first choice I want us to make and what I think it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in whatever situation I find myself in. Number one is this. Choose calling over convenience. Choose calling over convenience. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story. I remember um, when God called me into ministry, um, one thing you need to understand is that God doesn't call the most likely people. God just calls the people He wants to call, for whatever reason. And so when God called me, I wasn't that refined. Some of you if know me, if you know me, you might still not think I'm that refined. Um, and I remember, like when I first got into ministry, um, I used to get really mad uh, when people would call me out on behaviors. Um, most specifically, uh, if they would call me pastor in like a derogatory way. And what I mean by that is like if I got angry, someone would be like, come on, pastor. (laughs) If I was impatient, come on, pastor. If I was on PokerStars.net, come on, pastor. (laughs) And I remember... I used to get really mad. And I used to say to myself, why can't I just be Harrison? That's, all, that's, that's who I, why can't I be myself where I want and when I want? And then I read James chapter one. And it says, not many of you should become teachers. Um, actually, I don't think it's James one. I think it's James three. We can edit that. Not many of you should become, it might not even be James three. I know it's not James one. Not many of you. She become teachers, my fellow brothers and sisters, uh, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I just want to be me. I don't want to be a pastor. I just want to be Harrison. I just want to say veggie swears sometimes. <laughs> a veggie swear is not a real swear. It's like it's instead of saying like you say freak, like, oh, freak my toe. That's a veggie swear. Welcome to church. You, don't, you guys don't get it? Because real swears are like meat. So it's the, veg, it's the vegetarian version. Anyways, let's get back to the message here. None of you guys get that? Oh, my God. And now when the sermon ends, that's the only thing you're going to remember from today. How was church? I learned about veggie swears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So back, I don't even know where I was. What I didn't realize is ultimately what I was saying was I don't want to live as a called person. Because it's easy not to change. It's easy to lead with my emotions. It's easy to be how I've always been. Now, how does this relate to relationships? Well, listen, What if we begin to see ourselves as called people? Because just just because I'm not called to pastoral ministry doesn't mean I don't have a calling on my life. Because if I profess to be a follower of Jesus, I have a calling on my life. And so that means in my marriage, I have to choose calling over convenience. That means if I'm single, I have to choose calling over convenience. Because if I am called as a follower of Jesus, there is a different and a distinct way in which I am supposed to live. Why? Because I'm called. I, I could change this verse and say, Not many of you should be called because you're going to be judged more harshly. But sometimes I need a little pressure because pressure lets me know that I'm doing something important. It's easy. It's easy. It's, convenience is easy. I'll, I'll say it like this. We live in a place right now where, um, I, don't, I don't know if there's stats on this, but a lot of couples. Um, before they get married, will live together. That's kind of just like pretty normal in our culture now. Um, now, uh, you may not know this, uh, but the Bible doesn't have a specific verse on living together before you're married. I know, crazy. <laughs> Some of your parents have told you there's a verse. There's not a verse. <laughs> Don't you know First Corinthians 19? <laughs> there's no verse. Um, what the Bible does talk about is that sex is reserved for marriage. Now, if you can live together and not have sex, go right ahead. I'm joking, but <laughs> follow me. So what's hard, though, is, is for the Christian couple, it's like, man, I want to honor God. I want to wait until I'm married, but, like, we got two sets of rent that we're paying right now. You know what I'm talking about? We're paying for two groceries. Two groceries. And we're not getting married till 2025. It it would just be so much easier if we just lived together. And listen to me. Financially speaking, it's probably the most convenient decision. But here's the question. Am I called or not? Because if I'm called, I have a different barometer in which I view the world. I have a different lens through which I view things. I view things as a called person. People in marriage, for a long time I've lost my spark. I don't feel how I felt. Well, I know what the easiest thing to do is when I don't feel like doing something anymore. I know the easiest thing. It's give up. The easiest thing is to blame. Well, they don't... (laughs) They don't do it like they used to do but am I called or not? Single people, in 1 Corinthians 7, read it, Paul's got a lot to say about single people. If <laughs> you're saying, Harrison, what's my calling, Mary Jesus? No. <laughs> it's <a> weird language. <laughs> I'm here to say that today. But Paul says, if you're single, he says, the best part about being single is you have more time for ministry. That's your greatest advantage. And so what that means is this. If I want to live a fulfilled life as a single person, as a follower of Jesus, that means there's going to be times where I'm actually available because I'm single. But that's going to mean on the nights when I want to sleep a little bit, when I want to have a little me time, it means I have to choose calling over convenience because that's what it means to follow Jesus. Is that making sense? So first choice is we choose calling over convenience. Um, And again, I'm really just flying through 1 Corinthians 7, pulling some things out at a bird's eye view, so read it tonight. Um, Verse 23 now, he says, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Now there's so much going on here, but what's important for, for Corinth, I think what's important for us in our culture, is that we live in a time and space when it talks about freedom. For us in our culture, freedom is essentially defined as doing whatever I want. That would be cultural culture's definition of freedom, doing whatever I want. Do as thou wilt. Now what's interesting is that Jesus and the Bible, Bible and Jesus, Jesus is a freedom guy. He speaks a lot about freedom. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, it's for freedom. That Christ has set us free. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save. So he's about freedom too. But where we get into a little bit of an issue is that culture's picture of freedom is different than Jesus's picture of freedom. Both are offering us freedom, but both can't be actually freedom. Now, Jesus' freedom is really interesting because in culture it says freedom is found in getting rid of all boundaries. You'll be free the less you're restricted. Jesus says freedom is found by coming to me. Coming into a relationship with me and I'll show you what true free freedom feels like. Now here's where it's hard. The absence of restrictions is different for all of us. Most of us base our restrictions on what we feel. The question is this. How do we know what's correct? Because... I'll explain it like this. I was thinking this morning, I haven't sussed this out. This is the very first time you're all hearing it. It was in my head this morning. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, second service will never hear it. (laughs) But I was thinking about the Anthony Henday. And what's interesting is that the Anthony Henday, depending on the weather, my perception of it's very different. In the summertime, when it's really warm outside, the entire time when I'm on the Henday, all I'm thinking is, why is this thing so slow? The speed limit should be 130 on this thing. Like, <laughs> let the speed up, people. That's that's my thought process the entire time when I'm on the Hen Day in the summer. Now, when there's been a big blizzard and a big snowstorm, when I'm on the Hen Day, you want to know what my perception is the whole time? We got to slow down. This is the who invented this thing? It's crazy. And so. Here's where it might break down. I'm going to try to explain what I'm thinking with this. My point is, how I feel isn't the most accurate representation of what is actually good for me. And so if I don't have a set level on what is actually freedom, I'm always going to fail when I'm following my feelings. Because my feelings lie to me. And so sometimes what I need for my own safety is a sign in the ground that says maximum 110. 110. Or is it 100? 100. The <laughs> yeah. end day is 100. So, the beauty about following Jesus is that Jesus gives us a set direction for our life. And what he says, if, if you come on this path, he says, the end of this path is freedom. But my feelings won't always line up with where Jesus is calling me. So here's the second choice I have to make. It's simply this. Don't make feelings final. Don't make feelings final. Now, this is great life advice. You can write it down. This is great financial advice. Come on, young people. Come on, older people getting near retirement. This is good financial advice. Don't make feelings final. What's interesting is that most people would agree with this. When it comes to relationships, throw it out. And the vast majority of us, when it comes to relationships, we make our feelings the ultimate arbitrator of truth. Emotions are good because they're given to us by God. They're good, but they are not God. Meaning, my emotions, they have they have a place in my life, but they can't be in the driver's seat. Because I don't trust myself to not change. And so, how can I trust myself, who's constantly changing? The beauty of God, He says, I never change. Here's my thing with tattoos. I got, I got no moral, um, I got no moral issue with tattoos. If you want to get, you want to get tatted up, do, do you? Um, I don't have any tattoos because I don't trust myself. Because I just know there's something I'll like in one season, and there's no way in heck I'm going to like it in 10 years. And the reason I know this is because I go in my closet every single year. I did it two days ago, and I just start throwing things out. And a lot of times, like, what was I thinking? That was in? Like, you guys probably know this. Maybe you don't. um, I am married. Uh, I very, very rarely ever wear a ring. Um, And it's because I'm really weird. I don't like things touching me. watch either. Um, COVID was the worst time of my life because I hated masks. And I don't like things, I'm weird. Just love you. Um, and so Christy and I have been talking about like, let's get, let's get a tattoo rings. More so her, like, like <laughs> let people know that you're married. Like just tat it on there. Um, and like, I want to, but I'm just really afraid that if I get something, I'm not going to like the design. And it's a lot of work to change it after. And so what I'm saying is that feelings are fleeting. And so, when it comes to big decisions like sexuality, when it comes to big decisions like marriage and relationships and my singleness, just remember, feelings are fleeting. So, I should never make them final. And understanding that all of us are born east of Eden, <laughs> meaning my feelings lie to me all the time. Our culture says, I feel, therefore, I am. That's a lie from the pits of hell. Here's a better one. I feel, therefore I'm human. All humans feel, but all human feeling isn't good. And it isn't what is true. And so what happens is this. Far too many of us make life-defining decisions based on how I feel. Based on what I'm attracted to today. Based on what I think is So don't make feelings final. Now some of us say, well, Harrison, that's really hard. Because maybe you don't know what it's felt like to feel what I've felt. Like you're making jokes about tattoos, I get it, but like you don't know what it's like to live with the certain predisposition I have that maybe not everyone has. Some of us say, Harrison, you don't know what it's like to be in a marriage for 15 years and you haven't felt anything. So I know what you're saying, but it's hard. Here's what I want us to say. What if to be a called person was never supposed to be easy? Look what Matthew 16 says. This is Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, someone say "Anyone." anyone. If anyone would come after me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what does it mean to be a called person? It means I deny myself. It means how I feel in any particular moment is not final. And this is a really hard message, especially in like Western Christianity. Because we want following Jesus to be coming to church for an hour and sipping a coffee. <laughs> like our biggest trials are like the coffee was kind of weak this week. <laughs> God, why do you give me the hardest trials? <laughs> to be a follower of Jesus is to say, and he says, if anyone, he says, listen, if you want to follow me, listen, if you don't care about following Jesus, I'm cool. Live how you want. Now, I I believe that if Jesus is the way to freedom, the other path isn't going to lead you to where you think it's going to lead you. But I'm fine, and, and as Christians, we should be fine to let people do what they want. We don't need to live over someone's shoulder tapping them saying, do you know what you're doing? But if I consider myself a follower of Jesus, this is how I live. Where I don't make feelings final because to follow Jesus is to deny myself, take up my cross. You see, the word picture of the cross is Jesus literally beaten and bruised, carrying this heavy weight on his back. And so I submit when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sexuality, some of us are holding really heavy crosses. But I want to say to you, to follow Jesus is not to give up the cross and say it's too hard. It's a call to say, come and die. Come and die to yourself. And I'll show you what life really is. So two choices. We choose calling over convenience. We don't make feelings final. Here's the last one 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. Paul kind of summed it all up. He has so much relational stuff. He's like, honestly, guys, this is what I mean. Time is short. The time is really short. You see, as followers of Jesus, here is what we believe. We believe in eternity. And we believe this this weird thing that what we do on this earth has eternal implications. What I do here today, far supersedes just today. Now, there's a math principle that's really interesting, and I've shared it before, but it always kind of blows my mind. Any number divided by infinity is zero. I'll explain it. Any number divided by infinity is zero. So infinity and eternity in in biblical language would be the same thing. And so if you're doing math on a test, If you get one out of five, that's 20%, right? One in five days is, if you live for five days, and sorry, if the the world existed for five days, and I I lived for one, that would mean that I existed for 20% of human history. Does that make sense? Now, if eternity is real, infinity is real, that means any definitive number on earth, if I were to divide it by infinity, is actually zero. So if I were to live 90 years, it's like I lived a great long life, 90 years. 90 divided by infinity is zero. Meaning, in the long run, if eternity is real, everything that we do here is but a moment. It's super short. Yet, What we do in this very short, definite time has eternal implications. So here's the last choice that I think we are to make as followers of Jesus. We choose to live with an eternal perspective. What does it mean to be a called person? It means I live with an eternal perspective. Because here's the truth. For every person, I I just think this is true. Depending on your perspective, life is either really, really long or life is either really, really short. Now, as followers of Jesus, I think that we are supposed to live with the perspective that life is really, really, really short. If I don't have an eternal perspective and I only have 90, 70, 30, whatever it is, years, that means days, months, weeks are long in implication. And so if all I have is this life, here's where I'm going to bring it all together, why should I deny myself? How can I not follow my feelings, Harrison? F- for some of us, listen, it means this. It means I might be called to celibacy. Celibacy means I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting married. Well, Harrison, how could I ever live a life of celibacy? Well, if all you have is this life, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a really hard ask. But if eternity is real, and on the other end of Jesus is always freedom, it is actually but a moment in the grand scheme of eternity. But if I don't believe in eternity, man, in my marriage, why wait it out? Why be refined? This is all I have. It's just this life. But if there's more, man, everything changes. Everything changes. And so what I believe it is to live with an eternal perspective is to believe that everything that I do today has an eternal weight, has an eternal impact. And not just on salvation and my own personal salvation, but on the people around me. Men, we got men's breakfast next week. Come on, somebody. You have no idea the eternal difference it makes when you just show up. You have no idea. But what most men want to do is not show up, not stick around, but it makes an eternal difference. I'm not speaking of a woman. Chris coming back in two weeks, she can, I don't need any more hate mail. (laughs) Someone's not liking veggie swears today, so. (laughs) Okay, get me off the stage. Keys, um, we're gonna wrap this thing up. Bobby's on Keys today. Um, Eternal perspective is this. Jesus has something better. He has something better. John chapter 10, verse 10, it says the thief, that's the enemy, the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So if you want to understand, if there is an enemy, if there is a devil, he comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come, That they may have life and have it to the full. So, why do I choose calling over convenience? Why don't I allow my feelings to be final? Why do I live with an eternal perspective? Because I believe, as a called person, Jesus is calling me into life. Whatever the decision is, however hard it feels, however much I just want to give up, Harrison, it's too heavy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So hear me, Jesus has something better. I don't, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know where you've been going. I don't know how many of us feel like we're on the edge of giving up in the particular relational season we find ourselves in, but I want you to hear me. Jesus has something for you. And the key to living with success in whatever relational season you find yourself in is to truly believe I'm a called person and I'm gonna pursue Jesus. And if I pursue Jesus, man, the battle is his. The outcomes are in his hand. The restoration, that's his business. I'm just pursuing him and I'm gonna be faithful to him and I'm gonna follow his ways even when they're hard because I know that he has come to give me life and life to the full. So come on, let, let's just stand for a second church because I wanna just, I wanna invite us into an appeal and I wanna give us a call and a charge. So if you're in this place and I pray today that you know something spoke to you and maybe you feel like life's been hard, my relationships have been hard and just, I'm on the verge of giving up and you've never viewed yourself as a called person I want want us to have a mind shift today. So every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to do two things. Number one, um, if you've never made the personal decision to follow Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity to just say, man, Jesus, I'm following you. Your way is better. That's my my first call. Um, My second is this. If you're in this place, if you've already decided to follow Jesus, but you've never actually lived as a called person, you don't know if you've ever actually carried that cross. You haven't felt the weight, the burden of self denial. But the other way just hasn't brought you peace. The other way of indulgence hasn't brought you life. If that's you today, every head bowed, every eye closed, either of those things, can you show me your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. You just say, man, I want to I just chase after Jesus, I want to live as a called person. Can you show me your hand? So Jesus, you know every single hand, you know all of our hearts, you know the times, the places where we felt like the weight's been too much. God, we wanna live as your followers. So I just pray for us in this place, Holy Spirit, that today would be the kickstart that we need. God, that you would just show us who you've called us to be and what it looks like to live in calling in our particular season. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. 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 Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information or you made the decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to connect. Until next time, take care.